Today's reading comes from Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So far the reading of God's word. Well, my name is Adam. I'm part of the team here and it's great to be able to open up God's word this morning. And we are in week three of a sermon series called Upside Down Christmas. We're looking at the first two chapters of Matthew's Gospel, which is like a biography of Jesus' life, and we're exploring the story of Jesus' birth. Now, in the first week of this series, we looked at Jesus' genealogy, his family line. Last week, we explored the miraculous story of Jesus' birth. And today, we come to the visit of the wise men. Now, I wonder if you've ever seen... Uh, this TV show, Mythbusters. Now, I must admit, I haven't seen too many episodes myself, but basically, these two guys use scientific methods to test various theories, myths, movie scenes, stories, all kinds of things. And over the years, they've tested some, some pretty out-there theories and myths and, and those kind of things. Now, some of those things are, for example... Apparently, if you put a silver spoon in an open bottle of champagne, it will not keep it bubblier. Does anybody else do that? That's just me? Yeah, well, I've been duped, apparently, over the years. Apparently, and I was quite devastated to learn this, the five-second rule is a myth. As soon as your food hits the floor, it's too late. Now, some of us will just choose to ignore that and eat food floor anyway, floor food anyway. Apparently, in the movie Titanic, Jack could have survived if Rose had just made a little bit more room on the floating debris and, and let him on. <laughs> now, the reason I bring this up is because if Mythbusters were to do an episode on the story of the wise men, there would be some myths getting busted. 
Now, even though the wise men are a well-known part of the Christmas story, the truth is we don't know the story as well as we think we do. Now, you might say to me, Adam, Adam, I've sung the carol. I know the story. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar. Thank you. I still maintain that Emma should have let me sing at this year's Christmas carols, but like she said, there's always next year. Now the truth is, this carol has led us astray. I don't know if you noticed this in the reading, but the wise men are not kings. They are magi from the east. And we'll get into this in a moment, but basically this means they were astrologers. They were stargazers. They they would study the movements of the the stars. And nowhere in the story does it say that there were three of them. There were three gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh, but I might give Molly, my wife, three gifts for Christmas and that doesn't mean there were three of me. I mean, the fact is we don't know how many there were. And not only that, and I don't mean to be a Christmas Grinch, but if you look at most nativity scenes, you will almost always find the wise men present, gazing over baby Jesus. But they were almost certainly not there. We read in the story that when they arrived in Bethlehem, Jesus was in a house. Scholars estimate that they arrived somewhere between one to two years after the birth of Jesus. And so I'm sorry if you have a nativity scene at home with the wise men in it. Maybe what you can do is take the wise men to the east end of your house and that'll be more historically accurate. There are some extra details that have been added in to the mysterious magi from the east. Now at one level this is understandable because we're not told many details in this story. Like I said, we're not told how many wise men there were. We're not told exactly where they come from. But of course, if we were to rewrite the carol to reflect this, it wouldn't quite have the same punch, would it? We, unknown number of astrologers from an undetermined location, bearing gifts we traverse afar. Not quite the same. Moreover, the details that we are given in this story, they're somewhat strange. They're somewhat mysterious. I mean, there's the star in the sky. We're not told too much about this star, what it looked like, how the wise men knew to follow it. Given all this, it's perhaps not surprising that some myths have arisen around this story. And this is why today I want us to take a a closer look at this story. I want us to sort through the myths to discover why this story is in the Bible, why Matthew has recorded it for us, what it teaches us about Jesus and what it means for you and for me. And as we take a closer look at this story, we'll actually discover that it's in the strange details that we discover some important lessons about who Jesus is and why he came. So we're going to explore this story under three headings. And as Ben mentioned, kids, if you would like to follow along on the back of the handout that mum and dad received on the way in, uh, it's got the three headings with some blank spaces for you to fill out. So you can take that, and as we go through, you can fill that out, and at the end, you will have uh, the full set, and I don't have any lollies to give you, I'm sorry. Should have thought about that ahead of time. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. It's the strange search of the wise men. 
the strange search of the wise men. Now we read in verse 1 that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem was a tiny, tiny village about eight kilometers south of Jerusalem and it was also the birthplace of King David. Now this is not very strange, not very unexpected because God had promised that the Messiah, the promised king, would come from the line of David. So it's fitting that he would be born in the city of David. Now it's what happens next that is a little bit strange and a little bit unexpected. We're told that magi from the east come to Jerusalem and they're looking for the king of the Jews. Now why is this so strange? Well, the Magi, they were most likely from Persia, which is modern-day Iran, which means they were Gentiles, non-Jews. And they were also, as I've mentioned, most likely pagan astrologers. They were stargazers, sorcerers. In fact, it's from the word Magi that we get our word magic. And so all of this means that these Magi were unlikely candidates to be searching for Jesus, to be looking for a saviour. It would kind of be like an elderly lady from a remote village in Nepal who shows up in Brisbane and says, I've heard about this wonderful sport of rugby league. I've heard about this amazing team called the, the Brisbane Broncos and I've come to behold their glory. You'd be thinking, really? Just doesn't seem to fit. These magi were unlikely candidates to be searching for Jesus. And what makes it even more strange, even more shocking, is that the Bible clearly condemns their vocation. The Bible forbids the astrology and the stargazing that these magi would have participated in every day. In other words, to use biblical terms, these magi were plainly and obviously sinners. And yet here they are, searching for Jesus, looking for Jesus. And by the end of the story, we'll see that they're bowing down in worship before Jesus. This is incredible. This is strange. This is shocking. But Matthew has recorded this story for a very good reason. Right at the beginning of Jesus' life, Matthew is showing us an important truth about Jesus. He is showing us why Jesus came. To use Jesus' own words, he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, there's an important lesson here for all of us. We should never assume that certain types of people would never come to Jesus, would never be welcomed by Jesus. When Matthew sat down to write his gospel, he made sure that this story was included because he wanted to show us that in Jesus, God was reaching out to all people, that Jesus came for all people, no matter their job, their background, their skin color. We should never write off or look down on other people because they are different to us, because they don't look like us, because they don't talk like us, because they don't seem to be near to God right now in their life. God is able to draw anyone to himself. God is reaching out to the ends of the earth, even to pagan astrologers from Iran. This is amazing, and this is what we learn from the strange search of the wise men. But maybe you're wondering, well, how did these wise men from the east even know what this star meant? Or how did they know to, to follow Jesus, to search for the king of the Jews? 
And that brings us to the second part of this story. Kids, are you ready to fill out the second heading? And it is the strange appearance of the star. The strange appearance of the star. Now, every now and again, I take my son Knox out onto the driveway before bedtime, and we like to look up into the night sky. He loves to look at the stars and the moon, and he just loves it. Well, these magi would have spent a lot of their time looking up into the night sky, studying the stars. And sometime after the birth of Jesus, they noticed a particularly bright star in the sky. And they followed it all the way to Jerusalem where they asked King Herod about it and eventually it led them to Jesus. Now, if we're honest, this star raises a number of questions. First of all, how did these wise men know what the star meant? How did they even know to travel to Jerusalem to look for a king? Why would they even make this journey? Because the truth is, this was not a simple or a short journey. It could have taken them anywhere up to four months to get there. Can you imagine the conversation with their wives? Honey, there's a star in the sky that I think is pretty significant. I'm going to follow it with a few of my buddies. I'll be back in about eight months. Oh, and I'm going to take a little bit of our gold as well. That's a tough conversation. But they obviously saw something significant in this star to kind of put their lives on hold and to follow after it. So how did they know? How did they know what this star represented? Now, it's hard to say with absolute certainty, but it's likely that these wise men had access to at least some of the Old Testament. Many years earlier, the Israelites, the people of God, they were exiled to Babylon, which was later conquered by the Persians. Now, among those exiles to Babylon was a man named Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. Now, look at what we read about Daniel in in Daniel chapter 2. The king, the, the king of Babylon, placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Now, It's entirely plausible that Daniel taught the Old Testament scriptures to the wise men under his charge, and that they then passed them on down the line. Which means that these wise men who were following the star, they were probably aware of, and they'd probably read, the many prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Prophecies like Numbers 24. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter, a king, a ruler, will rise out of Israel. Now, if this is true, this helps explain why the Magi were willing to follow this star and to undertake this long journey. Now, when it comes to this star and kind of what it looked like and how do we understand it, over the years, many theories have been offered. Some people say it's a comet, others a supernova. If you're interested in hearing all the different theories, there's a great podcast that I would recommend to you called Underceptions by John Dixon. John's an Australian apologist, writer, minister. And in a recent episode called First Noel, he talks to Luke Barnes, who's an astrophysicist from the Western Sydney University. And he kind of goes through all the different theories. And I would commend that to you if you're interested in that. But to be honest with you, the more plausible explanation for this star is the simple one. It's that like the virgin birth last week, 
This star is the result of the miraculous intervention of God. That the God who spoke galaxies into existence, he placed this star in the night sky. And he placed this star in the sky to fulfill prophecy about the Messiah, to announce the birth of his son in the world, and to draw these magi from the east to Jesus. To draw these pagan astrologers to the saviour of the world. And God didn't demand that they abandon their vocation, their career, before they can come to Jesus. God didn't demand that they fix themselves up before they can enter into Jesus' presence. No, God met them right where they were in their life and he drew them to Jesus. And maybe this is your story right now. Maybe the fact that you're even in church today, it's kind of like a journey of the wise men. It's a bit mysterious. You, you feel an odd sense of being drawn. You're not sure, sure why you even accepted the invitation to come. But you're here, and there's a strange desire to know more about Jesus. I'm so glad that you're here, and I don't think it's an accident that you're here. Because God uses all kinds of means to draw people to himself. Sometimes he uses a star in the night sky. Sometimes he uses a friend at work. And sometimes he uses a simple invitation to church. Because God uses all kinds of means to graciously draw people to himself. Now, of course, the most important step in this process, it's what we do when we discover Jesus. It's our response to Jesus when we find him. And when these wise men finally find Jesus, we read that they bow down and they worship him. They bring expensive gifts to him. And this is the proper response to Jesus. But the truth is, not everybody responds in this way to Jesus. I mean, you and I know this. We don't have to look very far to see that not everybody worships Jesus. In fact, we see it even in this story because there's another group of people in this story who respond to Jesus in a different way. And this brings us to the third and final part of the story. And kids, get your pencils ready. It is the strange indifference of the religious leaders. Now, as I mentioned, when the Magi first arrived in Jerusalem, they went to King Herod to ask him about this star and the Messiah. They asked him, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, this is just a bit of a tip. If, if you go into a palace and you ask, where is the king? That is not going to go down well with the guy sitting on the throne with the crown on his head. When King Herod hears this question, we read that he is disturbed which is really one of the great understatements of the Bible because history tells us that Herod was a wicked and a cruel man. He was totally paranoid about losing power. In fact, he had had one of his wives and two of his sons killed because he thought they were plotting against him. So when he gets this question from the wise men, he decides to gather some of the religious leaders to find out more about this promised king. He asks, where will this Messiah be born? Now, these religious leaders, they were the trained theologians of the day. They'd read and reread and even memorized the scriptures. And so it was an easy answer for them Bethlehem. That was what was prophesied in Micah chapter 5, and that's what they quote to Herod in verse 6. Now, when Herod hears this, he tells the wise men to go to Bethlehem to find this Messiah and to then send, send word to him so that I too may go and worship him, which is code 
for so that I too may go and kill him. Now we'll focus a little bit more on Herod and his response next week because today I just want us to look at the response of the religious leaders. What did these men do when they heard that the Messiah might have been born? The answer? Nothing. Nada. Not a thing. They know the answer. They know the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. But when they get word that it might have happened, none of them make the short eight-kilometer journey to check it out. Shepherds leave their flocks and go. Pagan astrologers travel for four months to get there. And these religious leaders, these trained theologians, these ones whose head was full of Bible knowledge, they don't even bother to make the short journey to check. Now there is an important lesson here for us. There's a warning here for us, especially those of us who have grown up in church, who have listened to countless Christmas sermons, who have attended countless Bible studies, who have learned to talk the Christian talk. And the warning is this, don't take Jesus for granted. Don't become overly familiar with divine things. Don't become indifferent towards glorious truths about Jesus. And don't be deluded into thinking that a head full of knowledge about Jesus, it will necessarily produce a heart full of worship for Jesus. So let me say something to the knowledgeable, the the experienced, the well-churched among us, and I'm talking to myself. To know your Bible well is a great blessing, and it's something that every Christian should be pursuing. But Bible knowledge is not the ultimate goal of the Christian life. The ultimate goal of the Christian life is to know Jesus, to worship Jesus, to glorify Jesus. Jesus once said to the religious leaders of his day, he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So let's be a church that diligently studies the scriptures, not so that we puff ourselves up, not so that we can use it as a weapon against other people, but so that we might become deeply devoted to Jesus, so that we might worship Jesus. Now let me say something to those of us who are a little bit more like the Magi. Maybe you don't have much Christian background. Maybe you don't kind of know all the Christian jargon. Maybe you don't really fit neatly into the churchgoer box, yet you're being drawn to Jesus. This whole church scene might feel a little bit foreign to you, but we want you to be here. And Jesus welcomes you. And this story is in the Bible to show us that God is drawing people to himself from all nations. That no one is too far removed from God. And that everyone is welcomed by God because of Jesus. So once again, this Christmas season, we're being asked to reflect on the question, what is my response to Jesus? And it's my hope and it's my prayer that your response would be like that of the wise men. See, these men were wise enough to seek Jesus. They didn't know very much, but they acted on what they did know. They followed the star. And they were wise enough to seek out further information They went to Herod, they found out from the scriptures where he would be born, and then they went to Bethlehem. And when they found Jesus, they were wise enough to bow down and worship him. 
And so what's your response to Jesus? This story is not in the Bible so that we might be entertained by the Christmas story each and every year. This story is in the Bible so that we might come to Jesus and that we might bow down before him and worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have sent Jesus and that he has come for a sinner like me. He has come so that we might come home to you. And so Lord, we want to repent where we have been pursuing head knowledge without heart worship of Jesus. And this Christmas, would you wake us up Would you open our eyes to see the glory of Jesus so that we might bow down and worship him? And Lord, maybe there's some of us here this morning who who felt like we could never come to God, that we could never come to know you. Help us to see that you have sent Jesus for all people, for even pagan astrologers from Iran. Oh Lord, you are doing a wonderful, amazing work in this world. Thank you that we get to be part of it. And we now want to offer our worship to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand? To hear this blessing from God's word from Revelation chapter 1. About Jesus. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. Amen. So far, filled and fountain, more and mountain, following us.